0: Today, I got to sit down and talk with somebody that I have a ton of respect for, and that is my friend, Julie Blue. She was Julie Berry when we first met, and that was because of Lou Whitney, and then she worked for Slewfoot, and then she was a breast cancer survivor, Mm -hmm. and now she's got a really cool new project about a podcast called Rape. And the idea is... It's to look at all the things that Springfield has done in the light of the story that was written with really cool graphics about rape on CNN in last year. And so anyway, let's hear about Julie and her ideas. I am so happy to have this interview. Here it is, DaleWileyShow.com. So now I'm on the phone with my good friend and my old friend, Julie Barry Blue.
1: Be careful who you're calling old. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: well, I'm old
0: too, so there we go. So anyway, okay. I just thought that I would start by talking about, we've got so many things to talk about, but number one, let's just talk about you. When did you come into my life?
1: Well, I believe it was because of Lou Whitney, to be it honest. It sure was. <laughs> <laughs> and I was working in a awful job at Bass Pro. Uh I had left radio um, a year before trying to get out of the music business because, well, to be honest, it it just seemed like radio in particular was just uh, becoming not fun anymore. Right. uh, A lot of the radio stations were being bought up by big conglomerates. And that took a lot of the joy of programming music, which is what I had done, out of my job. And uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, cuts and pay and staff and things happening all over the place. My friends were getting fired. So I thought i better find another career. So I thought I would be uh, uh, a person to work in the accounting department at Bass Pro. Uh-huh. Just was not for me. So Lou, I think, suggested me to help you with Slufert Records.
0: He sure did. And, you know, that was the year 2000, which now seems like the Stone Age.
1: Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I know. I know. And it it all led up to to 9-11. Right. Quite a story.
0: (laughs) You know. And so anyway, before we get into that stuff, let's talk about, how you got here and and that you know your career beforehand and everything else. It okay. Fits. I uh
1: I started working uh in radio in college in nineteen ninety and uh, uh and
0: that I was, was in, in Atlanta.
1: Georgia, right? It was in Atlanta okay. and uh the biggest college radio station on the planet, Florida State okay. University, W R A S. Okay. And, uh, 100,000 watts and totally student-run at the time. We played our, you know, picked music and programmed it. We had concerts. We did Lollapalooza before Lollapalooza was even a thing. We actually wow. called it Sonic Sunday. Um, <laughs> so had a lot of great contact with um, a lot of the college independent artists back in the 90s, and uh, that was just so much fun. Uh, I, couldn't, I, I mean, I... Once I got into it, it was it became a part of my DNA. I, I still consider myself to be a radio gal.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you know that's one thing. How did you get
1: to Missouri? Uh, well, I when I graduated college, I, it took me five years to get out of Georgia State because <laughs> I would often ditch a class to go work on the air. I would rather right. <laughs> do a four-hour <laughs> <laughs> shift playing music than go to some of the boring classes. Um, But I graduated and uh, didn't have a job, didn't know what was going to happen, and a a gentleman by the name of Christopher Tapasidis called me. Um, He had hired several uh, uh, people that I had worked with at WRAS to work for his Channel V stations across the country. He had one in Augusta, Georgia, as well as uh, one here in Springfield. So I went to work for the station in Augusta, it took about six weeks of doing overnights there when he said, hey, how'd you like to go to Springfield, Missouri, and be the music director of Channel Z really? in, uh, in Springfield, Missouri. And so I looked on the map to find out where in the world's first world of of the Missouri was. Uh, right. And then to figure out what the Springfield is about. Uh, and I said, sure, why not? I had just uh, gone, for, or gone for an interview rather with uh, Leslie Fram at 99X in Atlanta, And she was like, you know, we can hire you. You could do overnight here for 20 hours. and never really get anywhere. Or you could go to a small market and work your way up to be a program director and then come back. And then you probably have a better chance of of getting a big job here. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. So I went to Springfield, Missouri, and I I guess I've been here ever since.
0: (laughs) Right. And And so... You know, once you got here, well, let's talk about first. What did you think you were going to do? You know, and talk about your parents and your family, all that stuff.
1: Oh, okay. Um. Well, my dad was the um, eg- executive producer of CNN Headline News in okay. 1982. He was a um, news director in New Orleans and got the opportunity to. Um, to go work for something called Cable News Network, which was (laughs) very mind-blowing at the time, 24-hour news channel, nobody thought it was gonna work, and uh, the headline news was was actually CNN, too, at the time, was gonna be a um, a pared-down situation where they would just run the headlines every 30 minutes. Right. So uh, it was fun. I got to go and work with him several times and met Bobby Batista at Chuck Roberts and all the anchors that were on at the time. They'd come over to our house for some and, uh, yeah. it That was just a, a, a really interesting way to be exposed to the media. I thought I would follow in his footsteps in the journalism. So when I first started uh, at Georgia State, I was in the journalism and news, but the music part got to me. My dad was also a big music lover. Uh, he was to jazz played uh jazz records on on his college radio station so um actually i've been spending this entire quarantine time listening to many many of his jazz records uh my mom was his favorites oh man he absolutely loves Stan Getz, and um of course miles davis big john coltrane fan and um I was uh, Don Ellis. I just had found about fifty Don Ellis records. I'm exaggerating, but there's a lot of Don Ellis.
0: <laughs>
1: I was just listening to Cannonball Adderley Quintet.
0: Oh yeah,
1: very cool. That was that was really great. But um, music just is in my family. My mom was a choir director and played uh, the heck out of the piano, and um, uh, so I've just always really loved the music. That was what drove me into radio in the first place.
0: Well, that's so, cool. And so what kind of music was big for you when you were in college?
1: Oh, Okay, I was, um, we were rarely involved with the local music scene, so we worked a lot with R.E.M. and b sixty twos and then some of the, the smaller, uh, lesser-known, I absolutely will always adore, like uh, the Jody Grind. and. Um, oh, yeah. Wild West Picture Show, and uh, I don't know, some of them, they're all escaping me right now, but um, it was really fun to work with these uh, musicians back then, and then see them, after I got to Missouri, kind of still be out there and, and and start to really get some attention. So Right.
0: And so anyway, when you got to Springfield, and you were done with the Job at Bass Pro, meeting Lou and getting involved there, and talk about how talk about Lou. Tell
1: me about Jeff. Lou was um I I want to call him uh he was kind of a groupie of mine I would say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, um, I of course respected the hell out of him. We would we would bring bands in. Uh, the Verve Pipe came to town and swimming and John and. Uh, some artists that we would bring, and they would always go to the studio to to perform some different versions of their songs or, uh, and uh, so we we did a lot of work with Lou, but he was a huge fan of the Channel Z Cage Match. I did the Seven to Midnight shit, okay. and uh, a lot of young, stupid callers <laughs> at the time. <laughs> with stupid nicknames like Toilet Paperhead and I, I it's weird <laughs> because I've, I've run into these people 20 years later and they're like, oh, and, uh, anyway, I'm like, do you still go by the name Toilet Paperhead? <laughs> so there was a, a thing I would do called the Tennessee Page Notch and uh, it was where you would, you know, pit two songs against each other, people would call in and vote for their favorite. And Lou every time I would see him, he would just he loved to mimic the guy who did the intro. <laughs> I could not shut him up. <laughs> I think he always well, wanted to be an announcer, maybe somewhere. Yes,
0: I know. But he would have been a great one, you know.
1: He would have been. He had a good voice. Absolutely
0: definitely and, so, and it's
1: weird because he and his wife lived behind um well this was after Slewfoot, but he they lived uh behind my my mother-in-law at the okay. time so I, I i got to know his dogs, <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: and uh it was just gonna you know that's what living in a small town is about i guess you just right. get to see people from all different angles well and so Tell me
0: about what it was like working at Slewfoot.
1: Slewfoot was, so uh, to me, I thought working for Slewfoot would be sort of like taking a chance that my dad took going to work for CNN too. It was okay. a crazy idea, a record label incredibly playing <laughs> yes. uh, what I guess was considered, it was Americana music, which was right. at the time sort of starting to take off because of Oh Brother Where Art Thou, that soundtrack was huge on the charts at the time, so I really saw a market for this music, and of course the artists that we had were tremendously talented, the Domino team, and uh, everybody else and I just, I was amazed at the talent that you were able to uh, bring in to the fold, and there was a lot of time uh, trying to figure out how to market on the internet,
0: yes. which was brand new.
1: It was brand new, and so you know uh, there was no Facebook at the time. Boy, that would have helped us out. Um, it sure
0: would have. No doubt. <laughs> I don't even
1: think there was a YouTube at the time. Uh, but nevertheless, we were on message boards and we were sending out emails. Uh, we. We reverted to the old uh, time way of doing things by sending out postcards. Oh yeah, cards, postcards. (laughs) And uh, one of my favorite things was to uh, drill holes into the CDs because uh, we would (laughs) we would drill a hole into the barcode so that it would be uh, used as a promo copy. It wouldn't be able to be uh, sold. So I did a lot of drilling of holes on our CDs, and, <laughs> yes.
0: and
1: it was great because after all, you know, 20 years of working in radio, God, I can't believe I'm that old. I've already worked 20 years in radio by then. <laughs> um, I, I used to get all of those promo CDs, and I used to get all the calls from the record label. So I just turned the tables around and started doing what people used to mean me and bugging the radio DJs and bugging the... Uh, the concert promoters and the concert uh, halls because then I started booking shows, which was uh, very hard to do. But, uh, you know, here's this band from Springfield, Missouri that you've never heard of. Right. I'm going to send you a CD and maybe you can pl- they can play, you know, one of the top bars in New York City or in Nashville. And that was really hard, but I felt like we made some progress with that.
0: Well, you know, and I feel like that. You know, additionally, you were involved in the tour, the famous, yes. the famous sleufit Cavalcade of Stars. The Cavalcade of Stars. Oh,
1: okay, <laughs> we have to talk about the And of course,
0: that's Lou' name too. I mean, that's something that he came up with, and I just think it was brilliant. And I love that name to this day. <laughs>
1: me about that. I know. I
0: can't <laughs>
1: it's it's very kicky um but we had uh who was the guy that came in to the office that made the poster though? So? oh He's yeah work in vegas he he all the posters for and, yeah so we had him do our Sleops at catalytic stars poster and um it just i i'm sure you've got a picture of that somewhere on the internet that people can find
0: yeah we need to see if we have it because he was actually made posters in Vegas in the in yeah. the like heydays of that. He was he you know and you found them and so talk about him. What was that like?
1: Well, he was just this old weird guy in Crane <laughs>
0: yeah. who was
1: walking down the street and said a record label and you know in Crane what is he right. doing here? He was obviously a fan of music, but I don't know. He was probably in his seventies, wouldn't you say?
0: I would say so.
1: Yeah, and uh, so he had a lot of stories, and you weren't sure exactly if he was telling the truth or not, because right. the stories were so amazing, talking about Dean right. Martin and Frank Sinatra and Sandy yes. Davis Jr. Until we, we saw really, how good of an artist he was. He really was. He, he uh, was so we're great. like, hey, why don't you make, see what you can do with this? And he brought us back this great style uh, poster for the cavalcade that just, I don't, you know, just really nailed it.
0: You know, that he just hand-drew. I mean, it was all things that he did. And he made the design for the Crazy Cut Drop logo, too.
1: No Photoshop back in the day or anything. All hand. Yep. The old-fashioned way. He was great. And uh, so many people would stop by the office, though, Dale. Oh, Uh, yeah. I remember there was gospel uh, singers that would stop in every once in a while to see how yeah. things were going with us, and uh, just various fans of music. And you have this um, uncanny ability to connect with people who toured with Ray Price and uh, bring them right. in to to clean to the Boiler Festival, and uh, that was. Just, it was just such a, a crazy idea that these big famous people would come to this, this such a tiny town, and uh, and, and they Dees did and they loved it.
0: Remember him, Bill Dee's?
1: Yes, I do. That was the <laughs> that was the guy who played at the church, right?
0: Yes, it was with the okay. Robbie Folds at the church.
1: Yeah, that was incredible. So lots of great music, and and but most importantly, I think was the people who loved the music, and as, it, as from one person to another, you and me, we love music, and we can appreciate yes, people that love definitely. music.
0: And that was a big part of you know. But additionally, you were didn't you go on the Cavalcade?
1: Oh, of course, yes, I was. Okay, I guess I was not that. a very good tour manager, but. I was, <laughs> I tried i was I was really it was so much fun, and just you know being in the car all day with these musicians, I've always wanted to be in a band right um, but so this was the next best thing was just to get in, to travel with them. That was my first experience with that on the road and right. uh we we did some really um great we started off in Springfield at car uh-huh. and uh well, I don't know if I can remember the exact poor dates and places it was
0: was the right leading up to a certain date in tuesday you know in america
1: yeah it's just a normal tuesday well the night before we were in minneapolis right and i remember being so excited because it's the home of prince as you know i'm a huge prince fan so of course i walked over to first avenue and stuck my head in and looked for him and couldn't find (laughs) him Uh but then I ran back to the club that uh the, the Sleuc Cavalcade of Stars was performing in and a right. uh, great we show. Went. Really, really good um crowd for that. And uh the next morning we're in the hotel room and um uh, you had called and I think you were kinda upset that we weren't up and moving yet. And um probably we who knows. <laughs> So, but we turned on the TV and it was just kind of out of the corner of my eye. What's going on? And uh, as reality started to unfold in front of us, it was Lou who said, "Well, we're canceling the show in Chicago tonight. We can't do it." And we couldn't believe that he, of all people, would say that because always the show must go on, right? Right. And uh, we did. We we all jumped in the car, and uh, and and because and we were concerned because there were some rumors that the Mall of America might be hit next. I guess there were rumors going around in every town yes. that terrorists were about to attack us. And I remember just looking up into at the sky, um, you know, out on our trip back, thinking, where are the terrorists? They're going to come get us all. But right. uh, there was gas lines. We had to wait uh, an hour to get gas and. Lou was driving exactly 55 miles an hour so that he can serve as much gas as possible. But we made it back to Springfield that night in good shape, thanks to Lou Whitney.
0: Yes, and, you know, that's another deal where, you know, I really feel like that was the day that that it just changed America. I mean, it really did.
1: It did. Just, it changed my life. It changed your life. It changed everybody.
0: definitely did yeah. because I really felt like the Domino Kings were headed up the charts and then within a month they had been in a bar fight and, you know, the whole world was different again.
1: Yeah. I Yeah. If if nine eleven had not happened, I really think that that cavalcade of stars would have... Shot us through the roof, but you never know. You just never know.
0: Exactly, and you know it's kind of like there were so many good bands. There was Heart of was on there, and yeah. Christy Strimmel, who was amazing, and the Morels and Dwayne Jarvis and the Domino Kings.
1: Dwayne Jarvis, bless his heart, rest in peace. Love He, that was, guy. he was a um, he was such a professional during that trip. Um, of course, he'd been doing tours his whole life right. and had played with the, the Vinyls at one point, um, but just, he was our pro. He was the guy who was that we went to to, you know, besides Lou, if Lou wasn't available, we'd go to Dwayne and say, hey, what do you think about this?
0: So right. when he
1: said it was time to go, I agree with Lou. We were like, okay, I guess we'll go. <laughs> uh, I so remember
0: that we actually got Dwayne Jarvis to eat a hamburger at the, at the deal that we did that summer. I wasn't, like, pushing it, but all of a sudden he agreed to eat a hamburger, burger, and that was a strange deal because he was a vegeta- vegetarian.
1: <laughs> well,
0: you know, he probably but again, didn't
1: want us to tell anybody that he ate a hamburger. Probably, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he was a really good guy and a great musician. I love that album to this day. And, you I know, did, just, I mean... All the music we put out was really fun, and, you know, I just can't say enough about we were able to do a lot on a limited budget in a in a crazy time. hmm And so well, tell me now. Oh, go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going to say that it seemed like all of the American music kind of died off after that. Oh, that yeah. That the... Uh, the, the Popularity of it just kind of faded away like that, you know. Right. After Oat Brother, where are Out in nine eleven, and then nothing. Well, so, and then,
0: you know, if it eventually came back, but it took us all a decade to get back.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's back. It's back. It just it, it never really hit the top chart, You know, it when really I'm... was
0: on one trajectory, and then. Just really, I just remember how different life music was, and everything was after that point.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And so, anyway, talk about what you're doing now. Tell me about now.
1: Okay. Well, um, I did. You. Well, let me. Can I back up to nine? You could do
0: anything because that was an important. Port.
1: That was a very important moment in my life. I got home to my husband. I guess I missed him or something, and um, I created uh, a couple of twins.
0: Right. And
1: that night, sorry to be so graphic, but that's what happened. There was a lot of nine <laughs> eleven babies. They were nine eleven babies. I twins, which really changed my life. And I, um, I actually stayed at home for a while and kind of got back into radio a little bit. I did some country music. I worked at my country for a little bit um, on the weekends, but I, I, the joy was gone. The music industry had just changed so much. It was not my thing. Um, so I found a job in law, which is another area that you work in. Um, I used to, and, yes. Yeah, so I, I, I enjoyed that and that's my new career. I'm a paralegal now. And um, I work in family law. I'm working for a really great attorney, Brett Schneider. He does family law, and okay. um, and that was that was hard to find a great attorney to work for, Dale. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do well, some looking around, see. but <laughs> but uh, so I do that. But on the side, I am working on a podcast uh, about. Okay. Uh, it's it's called Rape the Podcast. It's not out yet. Um, it was supposed to come out this month. But I'm having some trouble, let me tell you what it's about. There was an uh, article that came out on CNN about uh, Springfield rape kits being tossed about 10 years ago. And uh, it was really embarrassing for our city. It was shocking to me though, because it came out on CNN and nobody locally had covered it. And Uh I was thinking about it, i thought my my twin daughters and I have now some stepdaughters and my adopted daughter and so I have a lot of daughters in my life and uh, sure, one in one in five women are going to be sexually assaulted in their lifetime so I, there's a right. good chance someone in my family and I also have experience with that so I um, I wanted to find out what our town was doing about it I was gonna at first call it accountable because I wanted to hold everybody accountable um, especially <laughs> the police department but um, I was speaking with um, Lisa Farmer and, uh, at the Harmony House, and she uh, said, you know, Julie, um, it's not just the police department that you need to hold accountable because only 10% of rapes are even reported. It's the uh-huh. community that has to be held accountable. So that's when I, I refocused the, the podcast to, to talk about the advocates and just essentially how our community responds because we were uh coming off the heels of the Me Too era when I decided to do this. Um we're still we're still there. We're still in the Me Too era. It just it had just coming off the uh the Supreme Court uh justice nominee, uh um, right. what's his what's his face. I don't even feel like <laughs> yeah. repeating his name. But a <laughs> lot of people were becoming triggered by those stories and right. Um, and so people are afraid to report when something happens to them. And I can understand why, because the justice system is so complicated, it really can hold you back in many, many ways, damage you even worse than the sexual assault.
0: And you yeah. think about all the podcasts that there are about murder, but there are none about rape in the same now, way
1: there's There's been a few um it it's still it's still hard for people to talk about, and so that's what I thought this podcast could be is a chance for people to talk about rape and maybe desensitize it a little bit so that it's easier to talk about and if it, okay. If more women find out or men find out that it's happened to their neighbors, then maybe they're going to be more apt to report. Something that's happened to them, if they right. feel more comfortable about it, if they feel like it's going to be more accepted. We don't want to accept rape. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help make talking about rape more acceptable.
0: Yes, and I believe but it's been that difficult. That is,
1: now. is is a
0: great idea. I really it like is a that great plot.
1: idea. It's get and, and the story's not over yet. That's that's another thing that's holding me back. Is we have a long way to go. Um, Springfield has made some incredible strides. So that's the story of this podcast, is how far our town has come. And uh, we had we started a sexual assault task force as a result of that CNN article. So we really have to thank the author, Leslie France, not Leslie France, um, Ashley France, that's her okay. name, um, for, for exposing it. Um, and so the police chief came back and, you know, apologized and, and said we've made a lot of changes since all of this happened, um, but we have more room to grow and change. And they are working with advocates now. Whenever uh, sexual assault is reported, they um, put the victim in in contact with an advocate um, that will help them go through the rape kit process. And it's uh, really amazing to see the same nurses uh, and the police and advocates all working together to help somebody get through it.
0: That's amazing. And so what's the next step for
1: you on the podcast? To get an interview with the chief, with Chief Paul Williams. Um, we were really close to setting something up. At first he said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And then I think he got a little nervous because he just doesn't want to keep rehashing what's happened in the past. And I said, look, well, right. we don't even have to talk about that we can just talk about what you're doing now because that's what I want to focus on I want people to hear that there's a reason that if they report the rape it's going to be taken seriously it's going to be taken to the next level there is a a reaction to this you're not going to just get lost in the judicial system and forgotten about right and I think we're still in that there's there's still a lot of miscommunication there there's still a lot of people who uh, have problems currently uh, that are you know cases that are being worked on for sure but you can see if you go to their website all of the training videos that they're doing they're doing an awful lot of trauma-informed work and uh, trying to because that's the that's the biggest thing instead of treating the victims as um, asking for it, then now they're actually treating the victims as victims and getting them help.
0: Right. And I think that, you know, I just again think that what you're talking about is potentially not just a big podcast, it's potentially a huge podcast.
1: I hope so. Um, I don't know who's going to listen to it. Uh, it could just be the town or our community that gets something out of it. But I'd like to help other towns. When I
0: I, I really to... feel like you will. You know, I really yeah. think this it has the potential to be a really big story. And, I've, you know, I've talked to you a little bit about this and about podcasts, and you've been interested in what I've been doing, and I just thought what an amazing chance to kind of return the favor and be able to I appreciate it too.
1: No, I appreciate it because I'm I feel I'm definitely at a stalling point right now with this COVID virus. I don't right. feel like pressuring <laughs> the police chief to talk about this right now exactly.
0: there's so exactly. many other
1: things going on. But right. April is sexual Assault awareness month and wow. so this is when I had planned to release it. But um, it's not ready yet, and I don't want yes. to release it until it's ready. So I may even shoot it for next year. I don't I don't have a problem taking a couple of years to work on it because I want it to be good and I want it to right. be thorough, and right. I want to get the interviews that I need to show that Springfield is. And not I'm a also plan. going to hook
0: you up with a couple of people that I know that are in that industry of the podcasting and everything that I think you need to know, and they need to be your yeah. friends.
1: Sure, yeah, Definitely. absolutely. Well, I will um share my fir- I've got a preview episode up on rape the dot com you can okay. listen to. And uh then I've I've got <laughs> about half of my first episode produced, but the other half okay. uh is requiring some some interviews that are not that have not come to okay. fruition yet. Well that but, that is though that's amazing and really
0: I can't think of any better thing that I could, you know, that you could be doing right now, and I just believe that this is, you know, kind of another opportunity to to push this message out that, you know, if we're going to have podcasts about murders, there should be one, one good one about rape.
1: Yeah, there's a really good one called Surviving Justice that I have listened to and connected with the host. Um, if you are interested in this topic, you should listen to sure. uh, her podcast. It is uh, she was raped and she went through the whole process, and so she tells her story. And um, it, and she's in another town, and she's dealing with a police department that is not trying to fix the problem. And okay. so that's why I think our town deserves the opportunity to be in the spotlight. Yeah, for showing what we what steps we've taken, and again, we have a long way to go, and that's kind of why I want to drag this uh, production out as long as I can because I want to (laughs) see the real results. I want to see the statistics reveal the the changes that have been made, and we haven't seen that yet. And what uh, I'm, you know, of course, certainly very concerned right now because they're saying that forty percent of calls. To, it's dropped by 40% the calls towards um, helplines, lines uh, calls to the victim center calls to the harmony house have dropped okay. during the um, all of the stuff that's going on and people are trapped at home right now with their abusers
0: right. and
1: they may not have a chance to reach out and get help
0: and so, so what what else would you say to people who ha- are in that position Talk to me about that.
1: Um, you know, if you have friends, you need to check on them. If you know that they might be in a situation like that, you need to continuously ask them how they're doing. Let's, I heard a, a, one of the neighbors the other day having a huge fight out in their yard. And if you have that happening to you, there is nothing wrong with calling the police to have a well check. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. But if you find that yourself you're in a situation get to a phone any phone that you can find and call 864-SAFE very easy to remember 417 area code 864-SAFE so um, they'll put you in contact with advocates who can can help you get to a safe area because the the most dangerous time in a woman's uh, domestic violence situation is when she decides to leave that's usually when the murders happen so it's it's no joke. I mean, you've got to find a safe place to be, and you've got to find support. It's hard to do it on your own. Well, and in the middle of everything else,
0: let's also talk about the fact that you beat cancer, and I was at oh, least yeah. involved in playing catch with you during that time.
1: Oh, Dale, that was the sweetest thing ever. Yes. <laughs> um, I and. I had to look the other day to figure out what year it was because it's so far in my rearview mirror now that I forget whether right. it was 2012 or 2013. I think it was 2013. I was diagnosed I with two. breast cancer. And I had a stage 3 um, cyst in my left breast. And I had a double mastectomy and uh, some radiation and some chemo. I had several nodes, lymph nodes that were infected as well. So it wasn't just... Uh-huh in one spot, it was in several places. And so the surgery and the chemo and everything um, worked, got rid of it. And uh, then I was asked to, as a survivor, come out and throw out one of the first pitch balls. I right. love baseball. <laughs> I absolutely love baseball. It's another way I connect with my, my father. We used to go to right. Braves games all the time. So Braves! Also, go Cardinals. I'm an uh, equal <laughs> yes. opportunity person on both sides there. But I'm right. um, not really a softball player, but you offered to come help me learn. Uh, you, you trained me to throw out the first pitch. And I don't know if you ever saw that pitch, but it made it to home plate, dude. Woo!
0: That's good. I, that, you know, I, I remember that.
1: Pitch. It All was the way fun to home get plate. To come
0: up and spend some time. And just like, you know, I just think that you have – that's another part, another thing that I almost forgot to talk about because that's a cool moment, clearly a cool, that's an amazing moment. It's a miracle moment.
1: Yeah, its it's been a, uh, the whole situation has been a miracle for me because I would say I was in a kind of a bad place before cancer. I'd gone through a divorce. There was a lot of things going on in my life that I'm not proud of and cancer <laughs> was maybe the best thing that ever happened to me because it 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 got me leveled out it 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 showed me what was important and to this day I'll never regret getting breast cancer I've I I would love to help people who have just been diagnosed by saying this is going to be the best thing that's ever happened to me you will beat this and you will come out a better person on the other side
0: well, that is an amazing, you know, in other words, I didn't even, like, remember when I talked to you, I thought one talked about it and your podcast, and the deal is, in the meantime, you were a miracle yourself.
1: Aw, thank you.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for coming on here, and anything else you want to say? Any final words?
1: Um, no, other than just good luck with everything that you're doing. You're always just the most fun person to watch um, because you, just, you do the most neat, neato, mosquito things. And um, I wish you the best of luck with them.
0: Well, thank you so much, and thank you for spending some time with me. Julie Ballou, check out Rape the Podcast to learn more. All of this is available at DaleWileyShow.com.